Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode of Rewrites is supported by Audible with an unmatched selection of audio books, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audio book with a 30-day trial at Audible.com slash Rewrites. Storyplant Media presents Tawny O'Dell's Rewrites. Episode 7, Happily Ever After. Mom used to say, we should never underestimate the importance of silence. Without it, people are never alone with their own thoughts, and then that's the death of creativity. If that's true, I should have solved all the Earth's problems by now. Except for the noise coming from the street and the elephant-footed people who live in the apartment above me, I have spent the last week in complete silence. After an initial flurry of people calling and texting to see if I was okay after the monkey inferno and then me not answering, they gave up. I have abandoned the show. I don't know, I don't know if there even is a show anymore. If it was canceled, I haven't answered those calls either. Maybe, maybe Clive took over my duties as producer, which would be like asking a Buddhist monk to run a daycare center. I haven't turned on my computer or TV or even listened to any music. And I still haven't heard from Milo. When Milo was in third grade, his teacher, in a gallant effort to engage boys in art class, asked the students to draw pictures of the scariest monsters they could imagine. And then they had a contest where the class voted on which monsters would triumph in a fight to the death. The other kids drew these hideous creatures with, like, blood dripping from their dagger-like claws and gnashing teeth. Some were fire-breathing and others spewed acid. One had machine guns for arms and another shot lasers from its eyes. And Milo drew a dome-shaped shell covered in electrified armor plates. Inside, his monster could be seen curled up, sleeping. And he had no means of attack. He won by surviving. It was the only time Milo ever got a bad grade. I found the picture when I was going through Mom's stuff. I kept it. I'm looking at it now. I I wish I had paid more attention to it then. The thing about it, there's, there's no way in or out of the shell. Open up! It's the pathetic police. We've had a report of someone feeling sorry for themselves for way too long. 
Hello? I hear there's a pity party going on in there. I just love pity parties. I'm wearing my best pity party dress. What are you doing here, Clive? How'd you even get in my building? The security door's busted again. What is that? Looks like a fruit basket. Found it downstairs. It's addressed to you. Don't you- you can't just- I'll move it over here. <laughs> you amaze me. Even when you're depressed, you can't be messy. Have you been out at all this week? Except to the bodega once? Nope. Oh, I hear you. No one can be truly depressed without Cheetos and Skittles. What about your job at Bergdorf's? I quit that job. It was interfering with my television career. Nice. Stealing a line from Ace, one of your own writers. Ace is not my writer. I don't have writers. That's not the way they look at it. They're stupid if they feel any loyalty to me. I screwed up everything. I ruined the show. Here. Bagels and schmear and coffee. There's only four bagels in here. You didn't even bring me anything. Ha <laughs> ha! See? You're not too far gone. You still got a little sense of humor left. One of them's for you. What's the card on the fruit basket say? <sighs> Dear Theo, we all go a little bananas sometimes. No hard feelings. Love, Crystal. There. The monkey still likes you. Feel better? Well, what about Tim? He might still sue me. Dude, Crystal didn't send you that fruit basket on her own. She's a monkey. (laughs) 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 Right. (laughs) What's that? It's a picture of Milo Drew in third grade. Dying turtle? No, that's not what it is. I know what's going on. I know you think if you sit here long enough, eventually I'm not going to be able to stand it. I'm going to have to ask you what's going on with the show. If anything's going on with the show. If there even is a show anymore. But I'm not going to do it because I don't care. It was too much for me. It was a good idea, I think. And I tried. I got pretty far. But ultimately, I just didn't have what it takes. And there's no way there could still be a show. I'm sure the studio wouldn't let us film there anymore. I'm sure there's no studio in the entire city that would take us. And Brandy quit. How do you explain that? And, well, you know what? There's a million problems. The only way there could be a show this week is if you took over or someone took over. And if you were successful, well, that'd be great because it would mean the show survived. But it would also mean that my contribution has been completely worthless and you don't even need me at all. You know how you take the garbage man for granted until there's a garbage strike and they don't pick up the garbage and it piles up on the street and then you appreciate them? Yeah. That's you. You're comparing my importance to that of the New York City sanitation worker? Yep. Wow, man. Thank you. Someone didn't take over the show. We all took over. Everyone pitched in and we still couldn't do what you do. And we're not going to do it again. This week's show will be the last if you don't come back. The judging panel is tomorrow night as originally scheduled. After the attention the fire received, Ace suggested we sell tickets instead of letting the audience in for free. We sold out instantly. He wanted a percentage of the gate, but I'm letting him sell those Alliteration Nation t-shirts of his instead. They're pretty cool. The back reads, Books beat a bomb. (sighs) I don't know. It's more than just the show. Everything feels wrong. Look out this window. What do you see?
a brick wall. Look at the strip of sky above the brick wall. See how blue it is? See how I'm only wearing a sweatshirt? It's a beautiful day. Let's go out. All right, let me grab a book. For someone who says he doesn't care where he's going, you really seem to have a definite course charted. I didn't want to tell you because I know you won't want to go here, but I need a new iPad. Ah, uh, the Apple Store? Great. This is the last place in the world I want to be. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't go in there. It's not like you're being asked to jump into shark-infested waters. You have an iPhone. You have a Mac. You use technology. So do I. And I read. I read a lot. It doesn't have to be black and white. Who are you texting? Hey, Clive. Hey, Milo. Got tired of waiting, so I already went inside. Milo. Uh, hey, brother. Well, my work is done. Yes, you've been set up. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll be in the store. Punked by Clive. Burn. And you're supposed to be so smart. Not about everything. <laughs> Speaking of burn, did you see the last show? Been too busy. Right. Now you got graduation looming and all that. And you're probably already making plans to go to MIT. You are going to go to MIT. Yeah, yeah, might as well. Great. That's great. You do realize MIT is in Boston. Cambridge, to be exact. Not excited, but I hear there's a train from here to there. <laughs> Doesn't take too long. Yeah, there are buses, too. And aeroplanes. Listen to you being all 21st century. I'm really sorry I blew you off. Hear that? Apology accepted. I'm sorry I didn't come see the show sooner. No, 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 no. It's okay. You have so much on your plate. So do you. Guess we both need to make more room for the cheesy broccoli casserole. That's probably a good idea. Are you really reading Moby Dick again? Nobody does that. It's purely an AP English novel that only 5% of the class finishes the first time. Well, I know, I know. (laughs) But I actually liked it. And I am not reading it again. It's sort of become symbolic for me. Mm. Are you chasing the whale or being chased? Call me Ishmael. Right. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to look around the store some more. Sure, go ahead. Then if you have some time, maybe you can hang out with Clive and me for a while? Sounds like a plan. You coming? No, I'll wait out here. It's such a nice day. Hi, I'm Tony O'Dell, the author of Rewrites. If you love books as much as Theo and I do, then you need to check out Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audio novels and nonfiction, as well as original shows, news, comedy, and much more, provided by leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, and newspapers. The choices on Audible are vast. But in my opinion, the best place to start is with the six Tony O'Dell novels available from Audible, including my New York Times bestseller, Backroads. With Audible, you never have to be without a book, which, as you've discovered while listening to rewrites, is an idea Theo would strongly support. With Audible, it's even possible to switch between reading a book on your Kindle, listening to it on your Echo, or listening to it through the Audible app without ever losing your place or missing a word. Rewrites listeners can get a free audiobook 
with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash rewrites. Your free audiobook can be any title you'd like, though, again, those Tony O'Dell novels are a great place to start. So go to audible.com slash rewrites and browse the tremendous selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening now. Or wait, finish listening to this episode of Rewrites first. Excuse me, ma'am. Hi, sorry, little girl. Did you drop this? That's my book. Well, here you go. Oh, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. You don't want to lose this. It's one of the greatest books ever written. I know. Hi, thank you. She's always losing things out of that backpack. We need to get her a new one. Come on, honey, let's go. Our bus will be here any minute. Did you really read this book? At least a hundred times. Hmm. Did you ever fly a kite in bed? Did you ever walk with ten cats on your head? If you never did, you should. These things are fun, and fun is good. That's pretty good. I believe you. Dr. Seuss is one of my all-time favorite writers. My mom was so crazy about him, she named me after him. Your name is Seuss? <laughs> no, my name is Theodore. Theo, for short. Dr. Seuss's real name was Theodore Geisel. Seuss was his middle name. Why did he change his name on his books? Well, uh, when Dr. Seuss was at college, he wrote for a school magazine, and he got in trouble for something, and the dean punished him by not allowing him to work on the magazine, even though he was better at it than anybody else. What did he get in trouble for? Uh, let's just say... He was at a party that got a little out of control. Like Madison's birthday party last summer. We got in trouble because we put face paint on her dog and put a bucket over her little brother's head and tied him to a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. (laughs) Dr. Seuss didn't want to give up writing, though, since it was the thing he loved doing the most. So he kept on doing it, but he changed his name so no one would know it was him. That was smart and sneaky. That's what I would have done. Let's not forget, Theo said this happened because Dr. Seuss did something wrong. He was being punished. But but Mom, what would have happened if Dr. Seuss stopped just because somebody told him to, even if it was because he got in trouble? He might not have ever been Dr. Seuss. He might have only been Theodore Geisel. He would have gone his whole life without being the real him. And if we didn't get to read his books, we would have never been able to be the real us either. I suppose you're right. There's the bus. We have to go. It was nice meeting you. Likewise. Bye, Theo. Bye. My name is Dawn. It's a verb. It means to begin. Dawn, let's go. Now. Don't look so sad, Theo. You know what Dr. Seuss says. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Maybe you've guessed that I returned to rewrites. Did I do it because that little girl with the Dr. Seuss book reminded me of my original mission to get people to read more? And how important it is? Possibly. Did I do it because of the relief and joy I felt at smoothing things over with my brother? Did that give me renewed confidence and a desire to move forward? Maybe. 
Did the hint of spring in the air after a long, dreary winter help too? Yeah, probably. But decisions made in real life are never as simple as they seem in the telling of the story. All you need to know is I did go back. We finished the season and I promised to deliver two more. The show was a hit and also inspired thousands of people to put down their phones and pick up a book. Now, if this were a movie, this would be the perfect place to put a humorous but touching montage of everyone working diligently on the final episodes. There'd be an upbeat soundtrack and lots of mishaps and hijinks and sentimental moments as the writers toiled at their laptops. But rewrites isn't a movie. If this were a book, this might be where the author would introduce some much-needed backstory on our six writers in the form of flashbacks and musings and lengthy descriptive passages liberally sprinkled with witty metaphors and rife with symbolism. But rewrites isn't a book. It's a moment in time that changed my life. And as it turned out, it uh, changed a few other lives as well. Hey, Theo. Brandy here. I hope you're not mad at me for quitting the show. I was all wrapped up in myself at the time, and I didn't think how am I leaving my impact other people. I ran out on you, left you without a sixth writer. I'm sure that made a ton of problems for you, and I'm sorry about that. The strange thing is, I never ran away from anything in my life before. (laughs) Wait a minute. That is so not true. I spent so much of my life running away from just about everything. My hometown, men, jobs, lines at the pharmacy, baby showers... Once I left in the middle of a dental appointment. Basically, any time I ever felt suffocated or slightly unhappy, I fled. The one constant in my life has always been writing. Nothing could make me stop doing that. It's an affliction, an addiction, an affirmation of me. (laughs) Hey, wouldn't Ace love the alliteration? There's a Bertolt Brecht quote about home and identity that has always stayed with me. I carry a brick on my shoulder in order that the world may know what my house was like. I guess I think of my writing as my brick. I may not have novels out there that you can order on Amazon, but whenever people want to get to know me, I give them something I've written. I tried to explain to you at the time why I wanted to quit, but I don't know if I did a very good job. I wanted to avoid the disappointment of losing, but I also wanted to avoid the disappointment of winning. It isn't that I've lost ambition over the years as as much as I've accumulated context. It can be a terrible day when you look around and realize that This is all there is. Or it can be a wonderful day when you look around and realize this 
is all there is. Do you remember that trucker, Steve? I think he was in the store the day you and Clive came to meet me. He always made small talk with me, but when I came back from the show, he started talking to me about books. Turns out he's a big reader, and he's smart. And he's a great guy. (laughs) One thing has led to another, as they say, and I'm in love. Being with Steve has finally made me realize what love is. It's when you want to give up your freedom, but the other person won't take it. Also, a bunch of my female coworkers, who are somewhat on the large size, told me how much they loved my outfits on the show and appreciated how daring I was to wear them. So... I started a fashion blog for women who want to wear whatever the hell they want. It's called The Combination. (laughs) And it's really popular. I wanted you to know that I finished my novel, Overheard in My Hyundai. I finished it for you because you told me you wanted to know how the story ends. I'm not going to try and get it published. It's my gift to you. You... You did an astounding thing for me. You changed my life without changing anything about my life. Thanks, Theo. How are you, Theo? I'm sure you're busy. Can't imagine you being anything else. I bet you were the kind of little boy who was always building something or drawing something. My oldest was that way. Now he spends time glued to his phone and has the communication skills of a pepperoni pizza. Teenagers. Can't live with them, and if you're a divorced father who sees them every other weekend, you can't discipline them because then they hate you and will spend your precious little time together plugged into their iPods and not speaking to you. But I digress. When I was your age, I was still so full of myself, even though I had already begun my downward descent into the world of Mr. Almost. That's who I was, Mr. Almost. I was quarterback of my high school football team, and we almost won the championship my senior year. I had great grades and SAT scores and almost got into the Ivy League. I almost won the role of Joe Gillis in my college production of Sunset Boulevard, but I was told my presence on the stage wasn't commanding enough. In other words, I was too short. I could almost afford law school, but decided against it. I almost got a teaching job at Dartmouth. I almost had sex with a New York Knicks cheerleader, but she turned me down for a second date. I was almost able to afford the Lexus, but ended up with the Infinity instead. I almost had a successful marriage. Actually, I believe it was successful right up until the divorce. (laughs) I almost won $300 million in the New Jersey State Lottery at one wrong number. I almost wrote the great American novel, except I was never able to finish it. This is because I almost had something to say. Almost. But not quite. 
I think the almost that weighed the heaviest on my heart was that I almost mattered in my students' lives. When I began to realize that I didn't anymore, that I couldn't compete with Google and Grand Theft Auto, I lost my love for teaching, which filled me with the same emptiness and feeling of betrayal that one experiences when he loses faith in his religion. Then along came this fresh-faced, impassioned, rhapsodic devotee of the written word with plans to prevent the fall of civilization with a reality TV show. I was skeptical at first. You know that. But I was also skeptical of Ace, and it turned out that his thirst for knowledge, his openness towards learning, and his gratitude for my particular gifts revived my belief in them. I'm back in the classroom about to start teaching my summer session, and I'm filled with renewed zeal for my calling. I can't wait to see those young faces looking up at me. Once I tell them to put away their phones. <laughs> I don't think of myself as Mr. Almost anymore. I think of myself as Mr. Right where he wants to be. And I have you to thank for that. Good luck to you, Theo. You're a remarkable young man and a credit to your generation. I'm sure your mother was very proud of you. Your accomplishments are her accomplishments. Don't ever forget that. Man, Theo. Yo, did you take a chance on me? Like, what were you thinking? Did the fumes from that Thai food get to you and make you all woozy? I mean, the food from that place is not really that good. I mean, you let me on a show about writers when I've never written anything. But you told me that wasn't the point. You thought I was worth a shot, not just as a writer. You said you sensed something peerless in me. And at first I thought that might be kind of an insult. Then I Googled the word peerless, having no equal, matchless, unrivaled. I thought... This skinny white boy must be cracked. But I admit, I liked hearing it. Of course, you know, I never completed more than 20 pages of my novel, Murder Me Tomorrow, I Got Plans Today. But it's already been optioned into a movie starring Jamie Foxx and Emma Stone. You also know I got no interest in going to Hollywood just yet. I mean, I really had to take a step back and ask myself, like, what do I really want in life? Do I really want a mansion in Beverly Hills with an infinity pool and a butler, a white butler at that? Do I want a fire engine red sports car and a canary yellow one and a purple one as purple as Proust pros? Professor Carver told me what purple pros was. And by the way, that was some sick alliteration. <laughs> Do I want sizzling hot women throwing themselves at me night and day? Do I want a racehorse named Carl Sandburg? Hell yeah, I do. But the first thing I want is a college degree. You could tell me I'm whack. Everybody else is telling me that. But here's the thing. Going to college has been a dream of mine since I was a kid and first started reading the books I find on the subway. You don't find a lot of children's books on subways. I was reading Bill O'Reilly's The No Spin Zone when I was eight. I wanted to go to college. But I knew there was no way I'd ever be able to swing it. 
when you come from a place like the Bronx, people are always saying, you need to find a way to escape. That's always the word they use, escape. Like you're trying to break out of a prison or, or fleeing some war-torn country where the government is randomly chopping people's heads off. Although it's true getting out of the Bronx is not easily done, but I think I think of it more of as like immigration, not an escape. People sometimes have to leave their countries, not because they want to, not because they don't love their countries, but because there's nothing for them there. No jobs, no food, no opportunities, no freedom. The Bronx is my home. But staying here was going to be the end of me. Professor Carver helped me with that application process and I got accepted to the college where he teaches. I'm going to be a freshman this fall. Uh-huh. <laughs> we should get together sometime this summer before I leave. I mean, I've noticed you really don't have too many friends of color. I mean, like none, like zero, like negative friends of color. What's that about? <laughs> nah, I'm just, I'm just ragging on you. <laughs> no, but no, seriously, what, what is, what is that about? Theo, on a serious note, I really just want to say, um, thanks, man. Buenas dias, Theo. I'm talking to you from the great beyond. Oh, no, I haven't died. I'm in my kitchen back in Greenwich. Although, I've heard some people consider life in Greenwich to be a kind of death. I never really gave it much thought until eight, the eight weeks I spent on rewrites traveling back and forth between here and the writer's house. If heaven is the stunningly white, bland, boring place where people sit around doing nothing and passing judgment on others as it's usually portrayed in TV and film, then Greenwich is heaven. But if heaven is a place where you're happy and fulfilled and finally unencumbered by the pressures of your life, then rewrites was heaven. I know it's impossible to feel sorry for me. I'm rich and beautiful. I mean, if I weren't me, I'm sure I'd hate me. You can't imagine how lonely it is. You're not allowed to have problems when you're perfect. Nobody wants to hear your woes. You have to put on a show of either being up all the time, laughing hysterically as you clutch your cocktail, or being snobbishly above it all, superior queen looking down on the rest of the world. I'm the most visible person in every room I walk into, but no one ever sees me. No one ever wants to know me. I can say without an ounce of self-pity that I've never had a friend. I know you think I'm being melodramatic. You're a naturally positive person, Theo, and you tell me that there are plenty of people who care about me. And I suppose there are. There's my husband and my children my family and my mechanic and gardener and my housekeeper and my stylist my financial advisor my personal shopper oh, my, my personal trainer and my highly impersonal therapist but not a single one of those people could tell you anything about me well except for Marduk but it would be drenched in Salvadorian sarcasm I didn't know 
What would happen between Echo and me if she took the money I offered her? Would she be embarrassed? Would she resent me? Instead, it was such a bold and, and highly personal act for her to accept it and for me to offer it that we were both completely stunned into a moment of complete vulnerability where we either had to become instant best friends or kill each other. We chose friendship. We chose friendship. Oh, by the way, I told my husband his dead mother's in the kitchen. He was surprisingly okay with it. Anyway, I will continue to be rich and beautiful. I'm not giving that up. I'm not an idiot. But I am going to use my powers now for good instead of evil. Well, I was never fully evil, just bored and unsupervised. It felt good to be generous, and I planned to continue doing it. I thought to myself when Echo said yes and gave me a hug. Oh, so this is what it feels like for life to have meaning. Thank you, Mr. Producer. I am ready for my close-up. So guess what? I got fired last night. I know what you're going to say. Good. You shouldn't waste your time being a waitress. You're a writer now. But even though Mr. Snugglepuss is done, and I have an agent, and she's confident we're going to find a publisher, I still worry. You know what they say. Don't quit your day job. Although you quit yours. Bergdorf's women's shoe department's loss is reality TV's gain. Wait. I'm getting ahead of myself. I guess I should start by saying... Hi, Eeyore. <laughs> okay, I know you're dying to know what happened. Just when I thought I'd heard every dietary restriction, food allergy, and culinary whim in New York City diner could throw at a server. The vegans, the gluten-freeze, the pescatarians, the lactose intolerance, the man who claimed runny eggs made him sleepy, and the woman who was afraid of undersized vegetables. Last night topped them all. Before he would order, this customer wanted a list of everything in the restaurant that could possibly kill him. I kind of thought he was kidding, so I said, Our general manager can if you forget to remember his boyfriend's name next time you run into them at brunch. <laughs> well, he didn't think I was funny. Can you believe that? And he complained about me and... Well, I've been complained about before. The complaints have added up. You know what was the first thing I thought when all this was happening? I can't wait to tell Theo. The second thing I thought was, I'm going to write it down and put it in a book someday. I never told you this before. But my whole life, I've been jotting things down, people say, and situations I encounter thoughts I have, and observations I make with the plan to put them in a book someday. I always wanted to be a writer, but I was afraid to try. When you approached me that night and asked me to be on rewrites, and I said, 
I'm not a writer. And you said, have you ever thought about being a writer? You have, haven't you? It was as if you had crashed through all my barriers and found the soul. I'd been keeping a prisoner inside me. Of course, I tried to put me back together again, but the damage was done. The repairs were only going to be temporary. Oh my god. I'm at a Dwayne Reed, and Breakfast at Tiffany's is playing. That is our song. Well, it's not, like, really officially our song. I mean, it's way too soon for us to have a song. Uh, plus, it's a stupid song. Plus, couples who have songs are kind of stupid, too. Don't you think? Look what you've done to me. I'm nothing but small talk these days. Let me see if I can still pull out the big talk when it's needed. Thank you, Theo, for releasing me. When I was your age, Theo, I was fighting in a war. I was in a jungle hot as a blast furnace with 40 pounds of gear on my back, an M14 in my hands and a knife in my belt to help pry the sea ration out of the can or to stick in a Viet Cong's belly if things got personal. Think about that for a minute. I was just a regular Joe, doing an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, chasing girls, throwing back beers with my buddies, Hoping to have a home of my own someday with a piece of land and maybe a family of my own, too. I'd venture to say it wasn't all that different from the man you are now. I wasn't a soldier. I wasn't a killer. I had no desire to be a hero, and I sure as hell didn't want to be a sacrifice. Yet there I was, plucked from my home and dropped into a nightmare. I was terrified every minute I was over there. Yet I was still planning to re-up when my second tour was over, but then I got shot. This was my thinking at the time. I know the ropes. I've learned to live with the fear in my conscience. I'm a lost cause. I can't unsee what I've seen or undo what I've done, but there's some nice, young, earnest, idealistic boy out there. Like your brother Milo, who hasn't been ruined yet. Why don't I let him stay home and have his life? He'll never know I was responsible for saving him. I'll be like an anonymous organ donor, but instead of a kidney, I'll donate a fighting chance. Guess what I'm trying to say is... I wasn't supposed to get old. <laughs> Between Nam and Mines and some reckless behavior, I should have been dead a long time ago, yet here I am. I'm still here. Why? I spent a lot of time asking myself that question over the years. You wouldn't believe the fuss they made over me back home. Winning rewrites, getting my book published, selling it to the movies. <laughs> it's been a lot to absorb. We had the grand reopening ceremony for the library last week. 
The town wanted to name it after me, but I refused. I had them name it after my mother. The Naomi Graham Memorial Library. She loved books, my mother. Rewrites is the gift that keeps on giving, but the best gift by far has been the return of my daughter, Becky. She saw the show and got in touch with me. My little girl, well, she's not so little anymore. She's in her 50s now, and you'll never believe it, but I've got grandchildren, four of them, two boys and two girls. Don't get me wrong, things aren't perfect. Things aren't perfect between me and Becky. This isn't a movie with some forced happy ending. This is real life. We've got a lot to get through, and there isn't anything that can make up for the time we lost, but we're both willing to try, and that's something. The youngest of the grandchildren is 16. He's a smart boy, personable, polite, gets good grades, but he doesn't read. None of them do. I gave him copies of The Grapes of Wrath and The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, and last time I saw him, we had a lengthy conversation about them. As I listened to him talk and heard the discovery and excitement in his voice, I realized this is why I've been kept alive, to expose this boy to great books. I didn't get to save that boy back in Nam. I got shot up bad and sent home, and whoever he was, he was called up to replace me. Somewhere out there is a screwed-up man who didn't have to be screwed up, or maybe he's a man with no legs, or maybe he's a dead man. Maybe he didn't live to have a boy of his own that would change this world for the better, or maybe my grandson will be that man. A man like you, Teo. Thank you, son, for showing this tired, old, bewildered hillbilly that his life hasn't been for nothing. Hey everyone, Milo here. My brother's not around right now, so I'm hijacking this flight. It's my graduation after all, so I guess I got the right to say something. Or, nah. <laughs> Alright, I know you've been listening to his story for a while, and you think you got a pretty good idea of what kind of guy he is, but just in case you didn't figure it out, he's a really great guy. He doesn't know it, though. It's part of his charm, but also part of the pain he carries around. Someday, he's going to realize his significance. This was the promise I made Mom before she died. Hey, Mr. College graduate. Let the celebrating begin. Have you seen Theo and Echo? They're right over there. You you guys are taking me out. Of course. It's all on us. You think there's any chance Theo's going to finally pay me that 20 bucks he owes me? You never know what's going to happen. But no. Happily ever after. How many stories have ended that way? And what does it say about mankind that we want our stories to end that way? Why do we crave an assurance that everything will turn out perfectly? And do any of us actually believe in happily ever after? Do we really think Cinderella and Prince Charming never had any problems after he slipped that glass slipper on her foot? They never argued about the seating arrangement at the next royal banquet or how much to increase taxes on the peasants? Nietzsche said, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. I'm sure uh, (laughs) Ace has his own version of that quote. Probably goes something like, uh, 
If you're always able to afford a cab, you're never going to learn how to take the subway. <laughs> the struggles of life not only make us stronger, they make life more interesting. Navigating and conquering them gives us purpose. It builds character. It gives us something to do. No wondrous invention or earth-shattering discovery or incredible piece of art has ever originated in the mind of a person sitting blissfully on a beach sipping a daiquiri and getting a foot massage. I have never been a fan of Happily Ever After, but I like The End even less. That's, that's because there is no end to a great book. When an author writes the end, what he or she means is this is the end of what I want to tell you for now. But it's never the end of the story. All stories are parts of bigger stories, and then those bigger stories are part of the entire story, and that entire story is us. You and me. Everyone we know and everyone we don't know, everyone who's with us now, and everyone who came before us. This is called our history. And we have one because we have the ability to write down our stories, to make them permanent and share them with others over space and time. Let's not take the written word for granted. Let's not lose it. Let's not lose each other. You've been listening to Rewrites, the story of Theo. <laughs> That's me. And we have come to the end. But I'm not going to say the end. Because it's really just the beginning. Stay tuned to hear the full recording of our theme song, Between the Lines, written and performed by Andrew Pandeleon. Feels like I'm going backwards, feels like I'm losing ground. I speak my mind with no words, just to keep you around. I'm dying every moment, each time I see your face. If I communicate it, you probably just erase me. Hear what I'm trying to tell you, I say it all the time. It's obviously buried right between the lines. I'm hoping you can see and all the stars align. I'm only asking that you read between the lines. Lie, I, I, lie. Lines, 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.